Alrighty then, nearly there to the start of the 2022 F1 season and my word, we've got a few things to look forward to. That's the whole purpose of this episode. We're going to be talking about so many things that we're awaiting until the start of the very first race and you'll be surprised at how many things Kunal and I have been luckily able to come up with and so that's the agenda for today. I must introduce ourselves. My name is Somal Arora, the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar and joining me as always and luckily, he's been keeping company through the winter as well. Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And first up, Kunal, I mentioned the winter. For no, for most people, the winter can be a bit cold in the world of Formula 1 with not much happening. But on here, on the Inside Line F1 podcast, that just wasn't the case. We had so, so many features. We had just so many features that now it's time to say that we are at the business end of the championship ourselves. So you guys are going to hear more of Somil, Mithila and me. Mithila, of course, more sporadic than Somil and Somil and myself. But yes, Somil, I think it's been a very, very productive winter. You know, Somil and I sat down, we brainstormed and we said, who is it that we can get for Voices of Formula One? And we got the who's who, our first list of guests that actually came on. So will the series continue? Yes, most definitely it will. But will it continue right away? Not really. We're going to now focus more on to 2022 since just so many things are happening. But yes, this is also the time when I'm going to plug in uh, the Voices of F1 series that we had with Bob Warsha from the United States of America, Atle Goldbranson from Norway. We had Matthew Marsh from Hong Kong and Asia. And then, of course, we had Steve Slater, you know, the original Mr. Formula One for the, you know, for those listening in from Asia as well. So do we have more guests lined up? Yes, we do. You just got to wait. And I must I must ask all you guys how you all liked our AWS episode, because, you know, between now and the second preseason test that's going to happen in a few days time. It's the guys at AWS that are going to be just as busy, if not busier, than Formula One and all the Formula One teams, Sommel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Priya gave such a good idea about how AWS worked on it and worked on the new car, worked on the graphics and all the likes. But hey, there's another fun thing to look forward to. We've got new music, Kunal. We do, yes. Uh, Lucien is back, as you guys can see. So we've already got a preseason upgrade. And Lucien is back. It's his fifth season of giving music to the Inside Line F1 podcast and the Pitch to Podium. And it's such a delight that he's back with some really exciting tunes. So if you guys actually loved the tune that, you know, you all heard at the top of the episode, write into us. Let us know. And then, of course, you guys are welcome to listen to Lucien's other music on Spotify or Bandcamp. His full name is Lucien Byfield. Thank you, Lucien. Really love it. And the best part is with new music, we can kick off this new generation of Formula One. And to kick off this new generation, we're also having an interview with Abhishek Takle, who's also been on the Inside Line F1 podcast many a times. And we're going to be talking about the whole scenario heading into 2022, the, all the 10 teams, what we look forward to from them. But that's for next week. For today, there are so many points to discuss. And fresh off the bat, canal, literally just 30 minutes before we started recording this interview, Nikita Mazepin is out. Haas have terminated his contract. Haas have terminated the contract with Dural Kali as well. So it might mean, yes, that they operate at a loss. But this does open up one big seat on the Formula 1 grid. Who drives at Haas now? Is it Fittipaldi? Well, that's that's interesting. Uh, will Haas operate as a, at a loss? Will they miss the Ural Kali 
money, uh, you know, who's going to drive in that seat there. Uh, firstly, first things first, you know, let's let's put it this way. Uh, Russia invading Ukraine, political things aside, it's understandable that the community around the world has reacted the way they have. Has Nikita Mazepin been caught in the crossfire? Yes, he absolutely has been so. And Haas's statement was very interesting. They first said they have terminated their relationship with Ural Kali, and hence the driver contract with Mazepin has been severed as well. This very clearly says what we all know, which is that he is a paid driver. And this is a risk when you join Formula One as a paid driver. If your source of money dries up, you have to say goodbye to Formula One, unless you've got performances to back up yourself, which clearly Nikita Mazepin doesn't, right? And I almost was going to have a slip of tongue and say Nikita Mazepin to sort of prove a point there. But we... We're going to leave, you know, we're going to leave that aside. Poor guy, he's already going through a lot. But think about it, Kunal. Uh, before we get to who fills that seat up and what happens to Mick, where does Mazepin go now? Hey, um, what about it now? Um, he, he's got credentials of being a Formula 1 driver, yes. He's got the money to back him up. Maybe not immediately, but he does have it. I mean, think about the poor young guy. Uh, it's a bit insane to call him poor young guy considering the circumstances of last year. But hey, where does he go now? That's a great question. He can't be racing uh, uh, in Formula One, at least, you know, since the ties were with Ural Kali. Could he race in another series? Yes, he can. The FIA have allowed Russian and Belarusian drivers to race under the FIA flag, which, depending on how you see it, is, is either lenient or, or not, right? But clearly, he won't be able to race in the UK or any series that primarily is based in, in the UK itself, right? So, but do I really care when Nikita Mazepin goes? Not really. Did I care before he got into Formula One what he was doing? Not really. I think I'm tracking a lot of other junior, far more talented, young single-seater racers. You know, Jehan Daruwala, as you guys know, Dennis Hauger, Jack Doohan, uh, and, and the likes. And, you know, maybe instead of, you know, if there was a Russian driver I feel a little bit about, it's Robert Schwartzman. But again, you know, he was not in Formula One. So uh, the news of him struggling to figure what he's going to do in 2022, of course, doesn't get as much uh, publicity. But yes, now let's some look at who could end up racing in place of, uh, uh, you know, Nikita Mazepin. The announcement isn't done yet. It's going to happen early in the week or just leading up to uh, you know, leading up to the posts, uh, you know, the preseason test in Bahrain, the news very clearly out there is Pietro Fittipaldi, who of course has his own set of credentials, which may not be as credible, I would say, uh, is going to fill in and, you know, drive the preseason test in Bahrain. But Pietro might just be an interim announcement by Haas. There's a very good chance it could be Antonio Giovinazzi, given his links with Ferrari, again, being the most recent driver who's without a seat. Or if Haas really wants to go bold, convince Nico Hulkenberg to join the team since, you know, Hulkenberg is the super sub of all the subs out there. And that, you know, that that makes me ask you, Samuel, who would you like to see in, in that seat at Haas? Oh man, that is a big question. Uh, I'll say Mika Hakkinen because the sabbatical officially is, is still going on. He's not retired, by the way. But hey, uh, jokes aside, if Haas are really confident about their car, seeing someone like Nico Hulkenberg would be amazing because that's a statement of intent, right? Then you're going out and saying, right, we have a car 
and we need a good driver to back it up and maybe get better results. So if they do, and if they can afford it, that's the big question, remember, because they no longer have a title sponsor. That would be a fun hire, but I don't know. I really don't know. But it makes me wonder about Mick Schumacher, Kanal. <laughs> Without funding, this Haas team, well, at the start was fine. They've lost a big source of money. Gene Haas has said that they're fine operating with a bit of a loss because, of course, it's all a marketing wagon for the Haas automotive uh, company, if I can call it that way. But still, th- this is this is not a confidence sign. This is not where a talent like Mick Schumacher can ideally blossom. Before we go around to Mick, I'm still going to have one thing to say about the second driver's seat, right? I'll put it this way. Haas has been extremely bold with the title sponsors they've been signing up in the last several seasons. They had Rich Energy, which almost nobody had heard about. And then suddenly we saw what happened with that. Then, of course, there's Ural Kali, which again, not a lot of people had heard about. It's an oil company, etc., etc., right? Now, what do I mean by that? They went on and signed title sponsors when teams like McLaren were struggling to get a title sponsor. Yep. Of course, I know I know the rate cards would be different, blah, blah, blah. Yes. So if Haas can really, really get bold, they can do what Andretti has been saying they want to do with a Formula One team, which is to get the American driver in the seat, use what you said, Samuel, the platform of having a good car or a stable car, and then use that platform to go and get American interest. Can Haas do what Andretti has literally gone out and told the world he wants to do with, with having a team in Formula One? That's the that's the key question that, that I would really want Gene Haas, Gunther Steiner to ask of themselves. How bold can they get with their driver lineups? Because I think they can get bold. They had the most number of hours to develop their car than, than anybody else. They've been developing 2022 car since like 2020 because they did literally nothing in 2021. Now, yes, I know there was a deadline only after which you could start working on the car and blah, blah, blah. But the amount of time Haas has had with the 2022 car is definitely more than any of the other teams in Formula 1 Sonal. Again, some students start to prepare earlier, but they still don't get the same marks, right? I hope that's not the case for Haas, but think of it, Colton Herter. I mean, if the rumours are correct, that guy was faster than Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen when the whole Haas and Ritty deal was, not sorry, Haas and Ritty, but the whole Sauber and Ritty deal was coming about. That guy will be fast. If you've got a good car, maybe, just maybe, think about him, perhaps. But Mick Schumacher, yes, Gunab, that's one thing we discussed early on. Poor guy. Poor guy. I mean, of course, he's got a more potentially more representative teammate coming about. But still, this is just not seemingly the ideal place for him to be in. I think he's just waiting for Ferrari to pluck him up when the time arrives. I think he's just very lucky that A, is a Schumacher. Formula One cares about him. Pretty much everybody for FIA cares about him. We care about him. Not that really matters. Uh, and yes, of course, Ferrari cares about him. So, is he stuck at Haas? Yes, he is. His hope is 2022, but there's just so much happening off track that I'm certain that it causes distractions to the drivers, to several team members, the morale is hit and, and the like, right? So all Mick can do is hope that the Haas is a half good a race car as everyone's hoping that it is. And then he's able to do what George Russell has been doing in the, you know, in the Williams for three years because that's his best bet. And yes, I really wish that for Mick's sake, he gets a driver who's credible. You know, somebody like a Nico Hulkenberg, somebody like a Colton Herta, even though Colton's not driven a Formula One car yet. 
Uh, and of course, driven. I know he's tested one with McLaren before you guys start pointing out things to me. But why, why do I say that? Is because he needs to have a very, very competitive benchmark. The kind of benchmark that Lando Norris was for Carlos Sainz. The kind of benchmark that Charles Leclerc was for Sebastian Vettel. He, if he gets a benchmark as strong and even if the Haas is not quick enough, but he's still able to overcome a very, very competitive teammate, sometimes that's all it takes to get a call up from a bigger team, I would say, apart from having a very famous surname. Absolutely. And also the commercial value that can come around with it. But that's Mick Schumacher. I want to talk about Russia because that race is gone. It raises a big question in my mind, Kunal. Do we need a replacement? Do we need another race? Well, it depends. You know, if if you are one of those who's chasing a record, historic, the longest calendar in Formula One, yes, we need another race, clearly. If you're a Formula One team, you've probably accounted for sponsorship and other earnings from 23 races this season. If you are Max Verstappen, who's being paid per race, literally speaking, you want to make sure that there are as many races out there. And then, of course, you know, you look back at 2021, Imagine if we were one race short. We wouldn't have had the cracker we had in Abu Dhabi. Now, of course, I'm just building up scenarios. Uh, I think 23 races is too much. I've said this. It depends. If you ask me tomorrow morning and I'm really in love with Formula 1 again, which I you know, always am, <laughs> I say, yeah, maybe we can, we can do 25 races. But I think commercially speaking, uh, this is like a great uh, chance for Liberty Media to uh, make more money because, you know, Russia anyway wasn't the, the hottest of markets uh, in uh, in Formula One. Yes, they were paying a race hosting fee, but the Russian fans, were they as, as, as involved in the sport, you know, given that there was no major Russian driver driving, literally, you know, Daniel Kivat was probably the only one driving around when he was. What will Liberty Media do? What could Liberty Media do? Again, uh, several scenarios. I think Turkey is going to be the Nico Halkenberg of race circuits. They're going to be the one replacing Russia. Maybe they'll get a one-year contract. And then uh, could it be that they do a third race in America? Could it be that instead of Turkey, they go to a place like Sepang? But my feeling is that they will use this to try and get another higher-paying promoter to host a Formula 1 race more permanently from 2023 Sonal. Yeah, because let's be honest, they don't need to do what they did in 2020, right? They don't need to reach out to circuits and rent them out. They've already got enough opportunities in that sense. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see if a new promoter can potentially come about. And maybe Vietnam, that circuit, what's happened there? That whole project was a bit of a whirlwind. It came about and suddenly went away thanks to COVID. You reckon there is a chance that we can perhaps see that come about again? It depends if there's another person to bribe out there. Of course, not that Formula <laughs> One was the one was the one bribing the officials there, or we don't know. But yeah, Vietnam seems like a really fast stretch, I would say, because of the you know the controversy that the officials were mired in. I would say, but I think Sepang, I think maybe Turkey uh, would probably be the two key circuits they could be talking to. But I'm I'm excited to see who's you know who's gonna be the, the long term replacement of Russia. And I think it's a very low blow to Russia because they were going to move Sochi to St. Petersburg as well. So you know all the money that's gone that's into right. making that circuit, etc. etc. I don't know if anyone's gonna make use of it. Not sure how soon uh, you know Russian Grand Prix could be back on the calendar. And this also means that Mercedes is 
unbeatable uh, or the unbeaten Russian Grand Prix champions uh, till such time, you know, Russia ever makes a comeback to Formula 1. Tell you what, the saddest person in the entire F1 paddock, apart from Nikita Mazepin, with all that's happening, is Valtteri Bottas. We took away his big chance. We took away Sochi. Come on, where will, where will he win now? I know, Austria maybe, but hey, let's see if Alfa Romeo is the car that we think it is. Tell you what though, uh, I want to talk about another big thing that's going to come up in the next couple of days, Kunal. Drive to Survive. Everyone's been raving about it online. And by everyone, I don't mean us fans because, of course, we haven't had the access. But a lot of media personnel have gotten the chance to see it. And they say it's as dramatic as ever, as uh, flavorful or uh, the Hindi word for it is masaledar, which means a lot of extra spice added in for fun. That is what Drive to Survive is in essence. And this new season seems to be no different. Uh, let's be honest, this thing has done an amazing job for Formula 1. Friends and family members who would never even look at the sport has just, have just come out and said, wow, this thing is fun. I think, Kunal, if anything, this has to be the most important season of Drive to Survive because, well, how do you make 2021 even more exciting than it was? That's bang on, Samuel, because, you know, the Netflix producers, scriptwriters, editors, they had their toughest task, I would say, uh, for season four, because up until now, there were, you know, pretty much seasons that faded away. And you, you guys know what I'm talking about with, you know, how, how boring Formula One was before 2021, in parts, at least, you know. So for the for the producers to actually make it more spicy than it actually was, and that's fine, you know, that's poetic license. It's like when when you narrate what, when you as in anyone, when one narrates an incident that happened in a race to a friend, there's a good chance you're going to add some more spice, your thinking, your, your masala, as, as you guys call it, which is an Indian word, but known globally. So I'm sure you guys get the context as well. And I'm pretty excited to, to see how season four is. Uh, yes, the early signs are always by media people who are, you know, fanatics and purists of the sport have to see it from a different lens. And everyone is saying what they've said, but I'm pretty positive it's only going to bring more people to Formula One. It's only going to bring more people to the Inside Line F1 podcast and to Pits to Podium, you know. And I always believe in this, Somil, and I'm going to throw some marketing jargon out here. I would rather increase the size of the pie than the share of our slice. And you guys know I'm probably quoting Philip Kotler here. Uh, Unless your name is Mr. Bernie Eccleston. Unless, or, or maybe CVC. Yeah. Bernie who? <laughs> yeah, I suppose he was some, some old person who, who used to run a, a, run a small little sport that we, we liked, right? No, no, never heard about him? Nah, whatever. But No, I, I remember Bernie, the guy who said who, he would stand and take bullets for Vladimir Putin. That's the guy. Probably is a good time now, mate. If if there ever is a chance, this is the golden <laughs> chance. Oh man, Let, let's not go down that road. I don't walk think the talk. Walk, walk the, the talk. talk, exactly. Or not, maybe Bernie. Thank you for not walking the talk for once, because uh, he is the uh, types, right? Who who walk the talk? <laughs> if anything, guys, uh, if you're bored until the start of the second preseason, just read about how Bernie Eccleston actually consolidated power in the world of Formula One. Outstanding story. Kind of goes to tell you what kind of character he was, but also. Don't read when Bernie Eccleston said that, how do I send Rolexes, how do I sell Rolexes to teenagers? Ah, baffles me, baffles me sometimes. But that's Bernie for you. That's Bernie. And he was another character of the sport. And Drive to Survive, again, is great at portraying all these characters all together. But 
business end kunal i think it, it's about time we get to the track right because we've spoken all about who can drive a car or where we might be driving the car eventually or for that matter how the cars will be dramatized in a fictional tv show a semi fictional tv show which we all love at the end of the day but point is the racing aspect of it and this such such debate will we get to see a pecking order finally oh well if you ask me no clearly not we're not going to get to see a pecking order that's definitely not happening and uh, you know it's still only the fourth day that the teams are going to have in these cars the drivers are even less because they've always been uh, you know they've always been sharing duties so pecking order is only going to be the bahrain qualifying session and you know this samil you've been a commentator for several hundreds of races yourself and the other question which has got a very clear no answer to as well at least in my head is will they increase the overall weight of the formula 1 cars in 2022 and the while i say the answer is no i really also hope that they don't make an adjustment just cause nine and a half teams or eight and a half teams have sort of gotten it wrong because you know the rules have been written the teams have made a conscious choice to add more weight while yep. still hoping to go quicker because if if red bull is more heavy they're still the quicker teams out there It's yeah. not that they're languishing tenth, so they have made a choice to go quicker while still having more weight. And the weight is always a minimum weight that you know dry, that that the stipulate the the regulations talk about. So if you have consciously gone overweight, it's a decision you've made. You knew this all along. You've got the brightest minds out there. And Alfa Romeo, hats off to you guys for actually getting it within the weight that you needed to. But I really hope you guys have a quick car as well. Do you think the Alfa Romeo must have done some intermittent fasting or some sort of keto diet or anything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they do to make Formula One cars go lighter in that sense. I mean, I know, but I'm just kidding, right? You get the point. But it's it reminds me a lot of uh, a lot of those childhood games of cricket or football. But if you're good, I mean, if you're too good, the others will force you to play with your left foot or or your left hand in the world of cricket. That is uh, kind of like a penalty for for being. successful in a way if that ever makes sense i mean why crib about the rules when you can actually consciously get better at it sounds a bit Absolutely. silly to me it does and i really hope that there isn't much of a debate and there isn't much pressure and you know suddenly we see an increase in the overall weight of the cars because let's admit it that red bull looked heavy it looked bulky but again it's just how how it is and then another thing which is going to be very interesting uh, for us to track in the pre-season tests and again i'm going to split the question will the teams have solved the problem of purposing uh-huh. yes they would have okay it's it's a problem that can be fixed at the cost of performance which is actually anti or un formula 1 like teams usually prioritize performance over everything else so you know you're acting you're asking teams to act against their you know regular nature by saying hey just fix the problem purposing by you know raising the the right height of the car so they will work on interesting solutions to make sure that they are still as low as they want to be but still not face the purposing problems on hey they have to be a hard parent here they have to say like fine get on with it headaches fine we we'll try our best to solve it but if we can't go get a hang of it mate we can't help it you've got to drive with a headache you've got to drive with a car bouncing around at 320 kph or maybe even more it's kind of hard to tell what the exact top speed of a formula 1 car is these days but it's funny it's funny that some teams with their design philosophy have really been able to avoid it case in point mclaren i remember the race which is 
uh, really leading the way in terms of a lot of good technical coverage over this preseason test. They've been able to find out why McLaren haven't been able to get porpoising on their car. It's a lovely little feature that you should maybe have a look at. And McLaren are fine with it. They don't face any issues with the likes of Ferrari, the likes of Mercedes. I wonder how they'll be tackling it eventually at the end of the day. But that's one thing. The other thing is reliability. Because Alpine Kunal, oh, they have been having bold statements all the way through. I, I don't know which head of Alpine. And it also begs me to ask the question, how many heads does Alpine have? Because I think they had around five or six bosses last year. Add a couple and they'll become Ravan, the, the ten-headed boss uh, or the ten-headed god of the Indian mythology, <laughs> if you might put it that way. But it's funny, Alpine, one of their bosses just came out and said, well, we're compromising on reliability slightly this year because we want to focus on performance. And Fernando Alonso stalled the car or ended up with a bit of smoke at the first test. What's going on there? That, that team seems to be so mysterious. And they had a DRS issue as well. So Alpine's pace is hidden. But that's what testing is all about. They're pushing their boundaries. They're hopefully pushing their boundaries and limits, I would say. And, uh, you know, Alpine, again, is going by a very old philosophy from the world of motorsport, which says you can make... uh, I need to phrase this right. You'd rather have a fast car and then work on making it reliable than have a reliable car and work on making it faster. So I think maybe L plan is what all of that is all about. But yeah. teams are figuring all of this out as they go. Uh, I love the fact that they have limited track time uh, thanks to the regulations that uh, you know govern how much testing they can do. And that uh, you know it's, it's always that they are constantly fighting one challenge or the other on the technical front. And that they have got engineers as well as drivers helping them through and through. Yeah, exactly. And it turns out that the DNF from Alpine... Uh, what, why am I saying DNF? It's a test. It can't be a DNF. But hey, the stoppage from Alpine with Fernando Alonso was apparently not the engine. That's what Alpine said, not me. I, I wasn't there. Alpine said it was a hydraulics issue. I don't know. This is a really murky thing going on at Alpine. And hey, speaking of their head, speaking of how much they might potentially get paid, there's one new big player who's been earning a lot of money, or rather, who will earn a lot of money, Max Verstappen. Kunal, have you ever heard of a contract longer than Max's? What is it, six years? And that'll become a total of uh, 12 years with one team. Do you ever remember a driver staying with one team for 12 years? Not really, but that's Max Verstappen for you. You know, he's he's starting. Did you ever remember a driver less than 18 to have you know started no. a Formula One race, to have you know done all the things that he's done in Formula One, I think it's it's fantastic. His stakes are as high as they can get. Uh, for Red Bull, there isn't a talent better than Max Verstappen right now. Of course, Lewis Hamilton, but he is uh, you know he's he's contracted with uh, you know Mercedes still. He's sort of going to retire, I would say. So that's that's pretty good as well, and. Uh, you know, all the kind of money, I think it, the most interesting part is my gut feeling is that a driver's salary cap is going to be a part of the regulations in the near future. And Max has already gone and signed a mega contract before such a regulation comes into play. Should Formula One drivers be paid so much? Should, you know, should should there be a salary cap? Again, I have mixed uh, opinions and mixed uh, judgments on this. Uh, at one point, yes, they're gladiators putting their lives on, you know, on risk. And the fact that they're paid so much also makes them that much more special. But at, on the other hand, 
you know, $50 million a year is like more than a third of the annual car budget, so to say. And 2021 showed us that the driver is also a key performance differentiator. So if your 150, 140 or million that you spend is is capped so that your you know performance differentiation also uh, you know falls in, in into place when it comes to the car, why not the driver? So various things to ask about Somil, but you know pretty exciting. He's got a he's extended his already existing contract by five years. A massive deal. He would have done like he'd be 30 years old and would have done 300 odd Grand Prix already, and that's pretty phenomenal. Hard to think about it. Max in 2028 will still just be 30. 30? It feels like we've known him forever. But my, my question to end this episode on Kunal, and uh, I, know, I know how the dynamics of economics work, demand and supply. If Red Bull thinks that Max is worth $50 million, they will give him $50 million. So long as Max agrees, and why wouldn't you, right? Unless he feels that he's worth $70 million, which I think at this point he doesn't. But the point is, is he that much better? Is he that much better than a Charles Leclerc or a Landon Norris at this stage that his paycheck is, say, five times or ten times more than that? I know. I know it's Red Bull who are out there to pay that money and McLaren and Ferrari may not be willing to at this stage. But I get it that because the cars are bunched up, the driver becomes more important at the end of the day because that's where you can gain so many tenths of a second. But that much of a difference, really? Is he that much better than those guys? I'm going to answer your question with a question back to you. Who's the most recent benchmark in Formula One? And that is Lewis Hamilton. Correct. Right? Max Verstappen has gone and broken that benchmark in 2021. However close or not, however wide the gap or not, the fact is that he met and beat that benchmark. And that's exactly the kind of financial benchmarking that he and his team would have done. And let's also put it this way. You said... He's probably worth $50 million, which is why Red Bull paid him. My point is, Red Bull probably think he's worth more than that, which is why they paid him $50 million. You know, Red Bull's got a title sponsor. They've got a crypto sponsor. There is admitted talks, you know, with a, with a Volkswagen brand to come in with the might of a Max Verstappen. Their bargaining capacity will only be that much higher in every such partnership meeting that they sit in. And that is why Red Bull has decided to pay him. It's not just what he can do in the car, but it's also what he does in the boardroom, what he does for merchandise sales, what he does to galvanize not just the Orange Army, but everybody in Formula One in a good way and in a bad way, Sonal. And also to sell cans in Netherlands, because that turned out to be a big thing last year. And well, that could turn out to be a big thing this year as well, but Formula One coming to the Netherlands. But hey, all things considered, folks, these are the things that we're looking forward to until the second preseason test. And can you imagine? This is such an amazing year that we've got so many things to look forward to until the next couple of days. But there's going to be more stuff coming up after the second test. So subscribe to the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium for more such content where you can listen to us, listen to our takes on how things are going to unfold. And as always, listen back to our Voices of F1 series and our AWS special episode with Priya Ponapalli as well. Folks, if you enjoyed this one, you know the deal. You know what to do. You know how to subscribe. You know how to leave a good rating and the likes. And see you again for a few more episodes and the regular race weekend coverage right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium. So long. Bye-bye.